0: Chris will something out of that. <coughs> Excellent. Oh, <no. coughs> that the wrong passage? Oh, well. No. Mm-hmm. crafted sermon from June. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bill. All right. I could survive. All right, awesome. So... Caller ID is a, a powerful tool. Um, maybe, like me, you are old enough to remember those dark days before it was actually a thing, um, that, that sort of Wild West cowboy era where the phone rang, you pick it up, and you had no idea what was going to happen. Um, and, and that's interesting to me because, as I think about it, Caller ID is essentially a negative function and, and just by that, I mean, you know, we like we like knowing what we're going to get before we pick up the phone, and we didn't we didn't need caller ID to answer the phone. We needed caller ID to know when not to answer the phone. Um, you hear ringing and you look, and oh, it's mom. Do I really have an hour to hear about her arthritis again? Uh, no. Let it keep ringing. Thank you, caller ID. Um, and, and now, in the, in the m- even more modern age, we have the option of assigning a unique ringtone to that special person. You, you, you all have one. Um, so that when it rings, it's like, oh, I don't even need to, to take the phone in my pocket to know I ain't going to answer it. Uh, <laughs> so, it's, it's this, this great convenient thing. We like the option, having the option of knowing what we're going to get when the phone rings. And the, this, this then is as we transition into a, a more thoughtful place is what do we do when we hear the sound of God calling? That's, that's sort of our, our, our question for today. Um, so, so we are continuing our groundbreaking, award-winning, loved-by-critics-in-the-common-man-alike series in the book of Exodus. Uh, and we're in chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 17. And so where we're at, something amazing has just happened. Back in chapter 3, God... Has broken the script of business as usual after generations of what was perceived by people as his silence. He stepped onto center stage uh, in a dramatic way, complete with pyrotechnics display at the burning bush, and and he's announced that to Moses that he's the God of his fathers. He is the I Am. He is Yahweh, the Lord, and he has announced his plan to go down into Egypt and save the people uh, of Israel, and he's commissioned Moses he's called Moses to be his herald his prophet to go before God and announce the coming salvation to confront Pharaoh to to share this good news this gospel with the people who are waiting for deliverance and let them know it's coming i have come and God is coming immediately behind me invisible strength and power to to change what's happening here and so Moses hears this good news he he hears the sound of God calling him and he receives it with something less than joy. Uh, so, so that's where we're at. Exodus 4, 1 through 17. Fa- feel free to follow along with me. Uh, then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, God's word for us today. We we can answer the call of God on our lives, not because we are sufficient for the task, but because the one who has called us is. That that is our that is our big idea for the day. We can answer the call of God on our lives, not because we are sufficient for the task, but because the one who called us is. Uh, and I don't say that lightly. I I can't say that lightly. Um, in part, just because as I was typing this up a couple nights ago, as I hit the the period on that sentence, I had to stop because I felt like a fraud. Um, I I had to ask myself, okay, I've written this. Do I believe it? Do do am I living it? Does it does it feel true to me in this moment? Um, See, because I was actually writing this at 7 a.m. I say some night because it was a night that never really ended and ended up bleeding into 7 a.m. And, and in part, I couldn't sleep that night, um, mostly due to, to bad caffeine choices, but, but in, in no small part due to um, just this tape running in my head that wouldn't stop, uh, kind of playing the greatest hits of, of my personal fears and failures. And... And I felt like a first-class liar typing those words because call of God or not, sufficiency of God or not, I didn't feel terribly sufficient to the task that lay before me, whether it was writing this message, whether it was dealing with the tomorrow that was actually already upon me, whether it was being a husband or father, any of it. I I, I wasn't feeling sufficient to be an adult. I was writing something that I knew to be true, but in that moment could not presently feel and and and, and I say that in part um, because this this message is somewhat necessarily confessional for me I, I would much rather talk about Moses than myself, and we're definitely going to get to that um, but but this topic. It's nature compels me to make it a little personal because hearing the, the sound of God calling is always a personal thing, whether it's to me, whether it's to you, whether it's to Moses. Um, because when you hear that voice, there's no escaping the personal element. It's just you, God, and this sudden crippling awareness of, of the nearly limitless number of your own inadequacies. God called Moses to announce the news that salvation was coming, and Moses resists he, he responds with three protests of increasing emotional honesty. Uh, he, he They won't believe me. I, I'm not the guy for the job. And ultimately, God, please just send somebody else. So let's look at that. Let's, how does that play out? How does God respond? So, you know, for some context, remember, our, our, our verse, chapter 4, opening up mid-action. We're, we're still in the scene set by chapter 3. We're still standing barefoot on the slopes of Mount Horeb, made holy by the presence of God. Moses is still standing before the burning bush. And, and he's received this calling, this commission from God. And so what I see, the first thing that happens is that in Moses, a deep, infected, unhealed, 40-year-old wound rises to the top. Verse 1, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. These are the people who rejected him once before, undimmed by time, the voice of failures past still mocks. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Why would they believe him? Why would anybody believe him? Now, God's already told Moses, I will be with you. And before you know it, you're going to be back on this mountain Instead of leading your father-in-law's sheep, you're going to be leading your people, and here you will worship. And God has already reassured Moses. He's told them. He's told them how this is going to play out. You'll go to the Israelites, and they'll believe you. You'll go to Pharaoh, and he won't, and he will not let this people go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So that's what's going to happen. And Moses, 80 years old, half his life in exile. Uh, dirty from the desert, looking every bit the part of the poor, semi-nomadic shepherd that he is, says, they won't believe me. And instead of telling Moses, hey, I've already assured you, suck it up, buttercup, uh, God looks at this shepherd, who used to be somebody, and, and, and asks him, what's that in your hand? It's a staff. It's a, it's a piece of wood. It's a stick in the hand of a shepherd. It's the most normal thing in the world. And the Lord of all creation takes the normal and proceeds to do the impossible with it. A stick becomes a snake. The human body becomes stricken and made well. And and God says, and if they don't believe that, there's more coming. There's a a teaser trailer, if you will, for the first plague that will pour out against Egypt. Moses has this this deep-seated doubt of himself. and, And let's be honest, it's not necessarily an inaccurate one. He's bringing an unbelievable message to a people that he knows from experience don't particularly like or trust him, if they remember him at all. What could possibly authenticate the task with which he has been entrusted? Only God. Moses has has run the numbers. He's assessed the situation. And he's concluded rightly, based off the human evidence, that no one's going to believe this. But he's forgotten that the voice he hears calling him is, is the same voice that once said, let there be light, and there was. The, the, the voice calling him to service, to obedience, to this ministry of proclamation is the same voice that one day will we'll command the grave to give up its dead, and at the sound of that voice, it will. He's talking to God, and, and our, our definitions of what is possible require immediate reevaluation in light of that context. God is extremely merciful to Moses. Um, that God's patience throughout this entire discourse um, strikes me very profoundly. He shows Moses signs that authenticate the message. And, and it's interesting because this is done in the context during a conversation about convincing the Israelites, but God's showing them to Moses now, almost like Moses is just one more Israelite in need of some convincing. Uh, <laughs> God commits to authenticating this message through these signs, before Moses, before the Israelites, and before Pharaoh himself. So what does this mean to us? Because this, this is kind of hard for me. Moses is getting a sweet deal. Later prophets would not necessarily be so blessed. Uh, when the prophet Jeremiah is called, God's like, Jeremiah, go preach. Uh, no one is going to believe you, but um, I'll keep them from killing you. So there's that. Um, <laughs> Isaiah didn't even get that much. He got Isaiah, go preach. Uh, no one's going to listen. Dot dot dot. And he's like, but no one's going to kill me, right, God? And God's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And and Moses gets a, a miracle stick. I would be very very uh, upset. So those of us who are Christians share in a common call. Uh, we all have unique calls on our life, but we share numerous callings in common, and and one of those is to share that good news, which in part is what made us Christians when we first received it. And so when we consider that calling, I I have to ask, are we in turn paralyzed by that same objection, that same unhealed, festering wound of self-doubt in ourselves, they will not believe me or listen to my voice? Because if I were Isaiah, like after getting that call, being familiar with, with Moses' situation, next time I prayed, I'd just be holding a staff all super subtly, you know, and be like, hey God, not doing much, just chilling with my staff here. Is there anything you want to do with it? Because um, that's the first place my, my mind goes. Where's my miracle stick? God, you want, me to, you want me to share the good news? You want me to preach? You want me to go out and be your herald? Where's my miracle stick? Because if I had that... Well, then I could do something. If I had that, I could go from Isaiah's job, preaching to a bunch of people who won't listen and will most likely kill you, to Moses' job and get to go out in power immediately before God comes in even more power and come out of the whole deal smelling like roses. (laughs) If only God would attest to the truth of his message. That's the first place my heart goes. And there's so many problems (laughs) with that line of thinking. Um, I think the biggest one, because if if we as Christians have doubts about whether God has authenticated His gospel, has it has attested to it by miraculous acts of power? If if we have doubts about that, we're forgetting that that tiny little thing that that uh, gets repeated in the gospel so often that we call the resurrection, that that God has. That, that, that definable, historically attested moment when the Father authenticated, authenticated the claims of the man Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth to be, as advertised, God incarnate himself. Because no one in the ancient world knew what to do with the fact that the crucified rabbi's body was missing. Nobody knew what to do with the literally hundreds of people who said, I've seen and I've interacted with the risen Jesus. And no one knew what to do with the fact that no matter how you imprisoned, how you persecuted, how you tortured, how you executed these people, they did not change the story. And and if we, and if we have doubts about whether God will continue to authenticate his message, if we're like, well, yeah, but that was so long ago, if, if we have doubts about God's continuing authentication, we've forgotten John 16, where Jesus spells out some of what the Holy Spirit's job will be in what was then the coming age. That's, that's our age. That's now. And, and he says that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, God's, God's authentication continues. And if we think... And at the core of that, if we think God just pouring on more miracles would change something somehow, Exodus itself corrects us here. Because God just told Moses in chapter 3, you're going to give this message, the Israelites will believe you, but Pharaoh won't. And he never will, and he will never change and will never let your people go unless somebody makes him. Moses does have a miracle stick. Lucky him. That's awesome. That's a good thing. And it is going to help convince some people, but not everybody. The same signs and wonders will play out before different crowds, and some will repent and believe, and others will be unmoved, unimpressed, and remain mired in the black depths of unbelief. And suddenly Moses' job doesn't sound so different from our own. Jesus performed signs and wonders with, with a regularity and power that, that would make even Moses blush, and he had some good ones. Um, and some people did believe, but what did the others do? I mean, if we, if we just scratch the surface of the Gospels, we see this. And people ask for more signs, bigger signs, better signs, signs on their terms. It was never enough. It would never be enough. So some will receive and some won't. Do we expect a different or a better reception than Moses or, or even our Lord himself? God is sufficient to authenticate his message. And he knows who his sheep are and he knows who he's claimed as his own. So for us, the question isn't, will the message be authenticated? It will be, but, but it's, will we answer the call of God on our lives and speak of the hope that is in us and trust that the one who has called us will authenticate that hope before the eyes of the watching world. So Moses is, is given this great reassurance by God. Don't worry. The ones you're worried about, the Israelites, they'll believe you. And what's interesting is that, that it doesn't end there. That doesn't solve Moses' problem. Now, like I said, I, I think at its core, even this first objection was very personal. It came from a place of of deep self-doubt. But what was interesting is that it was expressed in a very external manner. They won't believe me. They won't think you sent me. It's kind of like when you don't want to go to whatever thing. You don't say, I don't want to go to the thing. You say, ah, you know, my kids are tired. They won't like it, so no. And then if the person inviting you is like, Oh, I'll watch your kids, no big deal. You're like, oh. <laughs> and the car's broken, so no, can't do it. Um, we get closer. We go further inward. And digging, we dig deeper toward the deeper objection. Because God reassures Moses about the external, and the next deeper level is unmasked. Uh, verse 10. Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Because God could fix Moses' exterior circumstances, but Moses was still stuck being Moses. The man in the mirror was still the man in the mirror. Some scholars think Moses struggled with a stutter, um, and, and that's possible. Um, some think he may have you know been worried that his, his grasp of the uh, Egyptian language had lapsed over 40 years, but you know, whatever it might have been, I don't. I don't think we even need to go there to understand this. Just because uh, I think we all know how it doesn't take much to get our doubts and insecurities up and running. We don't need anything so so truly uh, impedimenting as as a stutter or something else in order to get us saying, "I am not the guy for the job. I'm not eloquent. I can't do this." Um, I might have mentioned this before, so I'm sorry if I'm recycling, but it just it seemed appropriate. I, a comedian once observed that they did a study of, of what people feared, what people were scared of, and and the number one response for Americans was they were afraid of public speaking. Um, number two was death. And so the comedian made the connection. So at a funeral, statistically speaking, most people would rather be in the box than giving the eulogy. Uh, <laughs> Which is interesting, and, and apparently Moses was, was there right with us. Um, because even when we, we let go and we say, God's got the externals, Jesus take the wheel, uh, um, people who are going to receive our words, how they're going to receive them, and the rest of the Holy Spirit's job. But even if we get there, we still have a part to play. We still have to speak those words. And our personal inabilities and inadequacies are never stronger than in that moment. When the excuse of exterior concerns and challenges are stripped away because then there's nothing left to point to as the problem. It's, just, it's not that guy, it's not that guy, it's not the system, it's not the woman who done you wrong. It's just you looking in the mirror, faced with the terrible convicting sound of God calling and you knowing you're not up to it. The harvest might be ripe, Lord, but if you give me a scythe, I'm just going to put somebody's eye out, so no. Um, The the world is full of people who have some clue what they're doing. Uh, You've got the wrong guy. I can't do this. There are people who have a track record of holiness or competence or success or something, and here you are wasting your time on me. God, I'm not entirely convinced you know what you're doing. Does that sound like anything you've ever Thought, felt, or said to yourself? Is that something you've prayed? God says to Moses, Moses, who made man's mouth, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind, is it not I, the Lord? And he follows this up. He says, Moses, I'm with you. I will teach you what to speak. And this is interesting to me, because when God draws us to himself, when he, when he first claims us as his people, he knows exactly what he's getting, and it's not the better end of the deal. He, he's called people who are selfish, who are lazy, people who are beaten down by anxiety and depression, people who are violent and lustful and disobedient and proud, and that is just me. I'm sure you could add to that list. You're all terrible. (laughs) God's not surprised by what he gets when he calls us. Um, He made us. He's seen our struggles. And he's read the transcript of every tape we've ever played in our head that tells us we're insufficient and and whatever physical or cultural handicaps we enter the game with whether that is a stutter or an introverted personality or, or not feeling smart enough to memorize all the arguments and counter arguments about faith and belief or or um, or if you're a white dude and called to ministry and they're all like ah, you know we could really use some Hispanic or, or native ministers to reach this group or that group and you're like sorry I'll try harder next time um getting a little <laughs> uh whatever it is god knows who you were who you are when he calls you and i don't think he makes mistakes and it's interesting uh because you know when when we want to reassure people sometimes the implication maybe not intended but the implication is well you know you can't do this but don't worry god will will fix it um And I don't think we see that here because Moses says he's never been eloquent and he's not any more eloquent since God started talking to him. God didn't fix Moses um, immediately and dramatically in one fell swoop when he called him. You couldn't do it. I'm here now. I'm calling you. Boom. Uh, You're Cicero right now. You're, You're this amazing speaker. That doesn't happen. But what God does say is that he would be with Moses and he would teach him what to speak. God knew who Moses was when he called him, and he was going to walk with him through that calling. And he wasn't going to leave him unchanged, and he wasn't going to leave him where he found him. Now, God's probably going to leave me white, and you just are all going to have to suffer through that. Um, but, just for one example, God has walked with me and is walking with me through my more introverted um tendencies. And that's not because that's wrong and that needs fixed, Um, but in part it's because I think God's chosen to show his power by taking me, someone who doesn't love or relate to people terribly well or easily, and calling and empowering me by the gospel and the Holy Spirit to behave in the exact opposite way. It's a process and I'm I'm not done yet, Um, but, but may I testify that God is working with the shred of obedience I've put forward in what seems to me like a profound way. And so that's, that's why I can, I can kind of piggyback with Paul and say that whatever good thing I have, whatever I'm not doing terribly, that treasure is held in a jar of clay. Uh, and that that shows that the power belongs not to me, but to God. God called in this chapter an il- ineloquent man to speak for him. Uh, In in the past, in Genesis, God called a barren woman to be the mother of nations. Uh, In the days that follow from our section here, God will call a captive to call out kings. And so, who is he calling here today that is insufficient to the task that is set before them? the answer remains the same. The the response from God doesn't change. When when we bring that insufficiency before him, the question is, who made man's mouth? God knows that you're not bringing much to the table. if, If you're a believer, it wasn't because of your accomplishments that God saved you. It was by grace, and it won't be by your accomplishments that you'll answer the call of God on your life. That too is a work of God. That too is a work of grace. So now, twice Moses has objected, and twice God has steered Moses' attention to God rather than to his circumstances or his inadequacies. And another excuse is stripped away, and one final layer remains. Disobedience. Unbelief. Verse 13, oh my Lord, please send someone else. And we come to the heart of it. Uh, I believe Moses legitimately concluded that the Israelites wouldn't believe him. And I believe that he honestly felt he couldn't do this, that he was insufficient to the task. But as God broke down those objections one at a time, a deeper truth emerged, one Moses himself might not have even been aware of, had God not dug it out. He didn't want to do it. He did not want to obey in some deep part of his being, unbelief had a foothold. Our, our earlier example. Don't want to go to the thing. Oh, uh, my kids. Don't want to go to the thing. Oh, uh, my car. I'll, I'll drive you myself. I don't want to go. I never did. And, and the kids in the car might have been true, but they were never the whole story. And take them away, and the true story comes out. I don't want to. A rebellion, a refusal, a doubt about not myself or my situation, but about God. And now God gets angry. Patience and mercy, patience and mercy. And now God gets angry. Moses is standing inches from the manifested presence of the entirely holy and righteous creator of the universe, and he just sinned. And Jethro's sheep milling in the background. I'll take a step back. <laughs> Doubting ourselves is probably wise. There's good sense in saying, yeah, I'm not so sure about that guy. He's a bit of a schmuck. Um, when, When one looks in the mirror. But it's only wise so long as it leads to trusting in God in place of ourselves. But if we let those doubts multiply, if we let them metastasize, at some point they migrate upward. We extend them to God. And then when we do that, we we cross an important line. We project our insufficiency and weakness onto God. And again, we might not even be aware of this uh, because we can bury it under our doubts about our circumstances and our doubts about ourselves. We can can say that God is sufficient, God is able. We can believe that. We can hold it to be true um, and yet live comfortably in a functional atheism where God isn't big enough to do what needs doing. Moses opts out send someone else Moses hears the sound of God calling and he hangs up the phone or at least he tries to he provokes God to anger and even so God remains gracious Moses' older brother Aaron is already coming he's headed out to meet him God says he can do the talking you give him my message and he'll tell the others Now this is a kindness on God's part, but it's also a tragedy. Because from Moses' point of view, and this is, is, as one commentator put it, Moses thinks he's now sharing the burden with somebody else, but actually he's sharing the glory. And I don't think this surprised God. Like the text says, Aaron was already coming. God knew Moses would choke. Um, But Moses asked for and received a diminished stewardship in God's kingdom he asked God to some, send someone else and in part God did God's purpose wasn't thwarted it, it, it couldn't be but Moses' disobedience here angered God diminished his own blessings and was exactly what he asked for when, when God called me to preach I was disobedient um, I've, I've shared that with you before there was no getting around it coming to this passage as we did um, I I cited my inadequacies and impediments to God like he didn't know them already. And I left it there. I buried it under the convenient excuse of my insufficiency, which was true. But it wasn't the whole truth. And one day God dug it up. He dug it out and he left me face to face with the sad, sinful, kind of pathetic core at the root of it. Disobedience. Unbelief. Doubt about what God can do. And in the fullness of time, I was was convicted and compelled by the Spirit to repent and become obedient. And because of that, I stand here today still entirely insufficient, um, but called to this moment by the one who is sufficient. Our circumstances will not stop God. Our personal weaknesses and quirks will not stop God. And even our disobedience won't, though it may affect the scope of our service and the joy that we have in it. Uh, we sang a little earlier this morning that uh, jesus 's face was set and and that 's in reference to a part of the scripture where Jesus is riding to Jerusalem, uh, knowing what 's going to happen there, knowing that he is going to to die and despite that knowing what would happen, having opportunities to turn away, his face remained set toward Jerusalem and we read in in Luke nineteen that, that when he rode into Jer- Jerusalem before the Passover, the crowds cheered, uh, in part because they thought he was going to come and conquer, he was going to change things. And and they were half right. And it was proper that they cheered the triumphal entry of their rightful king, their their conquering Messiah, who, whether they knew it or not, was riding into that city to defeat death and hell itself for them and at the cost of his own life. And... The part that is most interesting to me is that when when the Pharisees, when the religious leaders at the time heard this ruckus, this ballyhoo being raised by all the people cheering, they come to Jesus and and they try to get him to get the crowd to quiet down. Um, Most likely because uh, if the Romans heard the racket, they'd come out and just start killing people on the off chance it was a rebellion or an insurrection or something. The Romans were very proactive that way. Um, And Jesus' response was... Like so often, kind of something else, he said, I tell you, if these were silent, speaking of the crowd, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. (laughs) If every man, woman, and child on earth disobeyed God and stayed silent in their place, the cobbles in the streets and the slabs on the walls would have cheered the Son of God riding out to save the world. God does not need our obedience to save the world. The obedience of Christ did that admirably. But if we claim Christ as our Savior, will we provoke God to anger by being disobedient when we hear him calling us, calling us to take up our crosses and follow the Christ that we claim for ourselves? And we do this not not because we can rely on ourselves to do so, but because we have faith and trust in the one that we are following, in the one who called us. Uh, Sometime I I would encourage you um, to read that section we read earlier, in John 12 again, John 27 and forward. I think we read through 32. Read through 50. Go to the end of the chapter. Um, Finish it and see Jesus... Reflecting on and preparing to answer the call of the Father on his human life. Uh, dealing with exactly the things we face, unbelief, even in the face of, of miracles. Uh, the duty to faithfully deliver the message of the gospel. Sp- spend some time there, reflect on that. Will we be believed? I don't know, but I believe in Christ. Will, uh, are we good enough? No, but, but Christ is Will we obey? That question remains. One day, one way or another, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians tells us that. But I pray that that when that day comes, God will find us, at the very least, already there, already kneeling, already confessing. My brothers and sisters, do you hear the sound of God calling I hope that as you've heard my words today, you did not just hear some guy filling the air with some thoughts he had about some stuff he read, um, but that that you've heard beyond it, that you've supernaturally seen beyond me and been pricked in the conscience by the Holy Spirit convicting you, confronting you, digging up whatever is at the core Of any unbelief that you might hold. Where is God calling you? Because he is one way or another. Everybody in this room. God is calling to you somewhere. I am convinced of that. Is he calling you to preach like he did me? Is he calling you to serve? Is he calling you to give even though you never have enough? Is he calling you to rest in his grace and not on your works is he calling you to forgive somebody you don't want to? Is he calling you to himself? Is he calling you to repentance and faith in Christ? Because the situation is the same in every case. The externals are stacked against you. The internals are no better. But you can answer that call of God on your life, whatever it is. Not because you are sufficient, but because he is so may I, may I exhort you, may I encourage you, may, may I, in love, call you out. <laughs> Repent of your unbelief, however big, however small, however deeply you've buried it. Whether that's, a, that's letting go of a petty grievance or, or being reconciled to God himself by the blood of Jesus. Or anything in between, wherever you are at, wherever God is calling you, hear him hear the sound of God calling and answer. And, and I pray, let it be in the pattern of Isaiah uh, rather than Moses at this moment and answer in the affirmative, Lord, here I am, send me. Let's pray. God the Father, you have brought us to this place, into your presence By the power of your Holy Spirit, you have drawn us one to another for your purposes. God, let us not go away from your calling unchanged. Let us not go away from from what you would have for our lives. Let us not make a deal to to receive less to have less to dare less and have that be what we want God let us want all that you have for us let us seek after the things you would give us God change our hearts God take away the comfortable have truths that suppress the unbelief at the core of us God change our hearts God heal us of our sin bring us closer to you draw us to you Help us to be obedient. Help us to be more than we are. Walk with us. God, thank you. Thank you for teaching us what to say. Thank you for being with us no matter what, no matter where we are. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a little now. Um, And as we do so, please feel free to stand and sing and worship along with the the worship team. but don't let the music don't let the words distract you if you need to do business with God and I pray that you do I pray that there is a prayer you need to say a response you need to have a, a reflection that needs to take place I'll be up here if you want to pray if you want to talk um, but, but you don't need to do anything big or showy um, if you want to just bow your head and, and seek the face of God answer his call on your life
1: God will see. My heart will sing.
2: we just thank you so much for uh, the, the saving grace that we find in Christ alone. We thank you so much that you're faithful, uh, that you are strong even when we are not, that you're good when we are not, uh, that we can trust you to be sufficient in all of our insufficiencies. Help us to believe you. Help us to place our faith in you. Help us um, <clears throat> to, to believe you when you call and when you say that my grace is sufficient for you. Um Father, uh, we thank you for uh, how you call us and how you create us. And uh, we just ask that you would give us more grace to trust the one who made the mouth. Uh, We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. You can have a seat. Uh, so just wanted to uh, share with you a couple of things before we head out just a couple of quick reminders and then uh, we'll take some time to pray for each other Um, so they'll be running through on the screen because uh, my brain doesn't always work to remember them so uh, first off is that uh, today we're having a welcome back for a quick visit Michael Potluck Uh, that's a long title but that's what we're going with so uh, so join us today uh, after the service we'll be meeting over at the Johnsons Uh, so do you want us to wait until twelve thirty, or do you want us to immediately show up and annoy you a- after the service? Just prepared to be put to work. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so you. Yeah, so you heard the words, if you want to come at 1230 or, or 1, then you can kick back and relax, but if you're ready to work, then uh, come as soon as you would like. So anyways, uh, talk to Cheryl if you need any more details uh, about food and that kind of stuff too. Um, so yeah, make sure and join us uh, for that to, to celebrate uh, uh, with the Johnsons, Michael being back for a little bit to visit. Um, so 26th, the next Sunday after church, we're going to be having the Pinewood Derby race. And so uh, we have a huge responsibility to defeat and destroy and embarrass Terrace Heights with the speed of our vehicles. And so uh, please show up and uh, work hard on your cars this week uh, to make sure and show how dominant we are in uh, in Pinewood Derby building. Um, now they do have Jeff Davis representing there. And he has this gigantic workshop and he's been training and building Pinewood Derby cars for a long time. So we have our work cut out for us. <laughs> uh, so make sure if, if you can. Um, I'm not sure about the details about soup, and so you'll want to talk to Courtney about if we're supposed to bring stuff. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's for our kids. And there is an adult heat, as I've been reminded every week. So... Um, adults make sure and be (laughs) working on your Pinewood Derbies too Um, so a couple other things just as reminders we are meeting at the Johnson's House on Wednesdays for youth group and so um, teenagers I encourage you to invite friends now we've been talking about uh, uh, how we're going to do this thing and so now is time to say hey uh, you should come with me we're doing this cool thing on Wednesday night at um, at, uh, my house or my friend's house or whatever uh, pertains to So, um, so make sure to invite people, and we'll be meeting together on Wednesdays. Um, also, on Thursday nights, we have. <clears throat> excuse me or sorry, Thursday afternoons after school at Moxie elementary, we have the good news club. And so I want to remind you, if you are available to help out with that, we still need more adults. And so talk to bill spring. Um, you can also ask, ask Nikki, she helps out with that some too. And so make sure you can find out more information from the two of them about how you can get involved in good news club. And so if you're available, uh, Thursday afternoons, three thirty when school gets out, we desperately need your help. And, uh, Uh, Participation. So um, I believe that leads us, yes, to our verse of the week. And so, um, of course, uh, Chris mentioned this verse while uh, during his sermon.